So tonight we're going to look into Matthew 18, verses 15 through 35. Uh, it's always interesting when people say, oh, do you want to share? Just share on whatever. And you go, okay, there's a lot of, a lot of things I could teach on. And so this, this was something that I had been thinking about myself, and the Lord had put several situations in my life that had caused me to look at this passage. Uh, and so I thought I would share it with you. I felt the Lord wanted me to share it with you some of the thoughts I had had, some of the things that the Lord had put on my heart. Um, and so I want to start just by reading the passage, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 35. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven." For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Let's pray before we dig in. Lord, thank you for these direct and clear words that you gave to your disciples. Help us take heart, obey. Help us be disciples who listen and who put into practice the things that we find in the Bible. And Lord, we thank you for this passage. I pray that what I say is what you want me to say. And I pray that we would all receive something from you tonight, that your word would be active in all of our lives. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this church this part of your body, Lord. What a joy it is to, to be together with, with brothers and sisters, Lord, to be together in your name. Amen. So, we read quite a few things, and there's a lot that could be said, and we're going to focus on the second half of this text tonight. Um, but I wanted to give us the proper context. Your pastor, Dave, likes to say that a text without a context is just a con, if I have got it correctly. Um, and so this gives us the context, and tonight we're going to talk about forgiveness. And this is one of those things that is really easy to talk about, but is really, really hard to do. I don't know if you guys can agree with that, but I've had to forgive certain things, and it's very hard. And it's easy as a pastor to, to talk about these things. And I was just in San Diego last week, and I, I, had to, I, I decided to call up this friend of mine who I, 
had hurt me very deeply, had wounded me. And the Lord, when I come to the States, I, often when I'm here, we go down to San Diego to visit some of my wife's friends. And I feel like the Lord wants me to reach out to this person because it's a, it's a way for me to, to forgive, to love this person, and also to keep thinking about these things and just kind of keep a check on my heart concerning what happened between us. And so I saw this friend and it was, it was a great time and I was very encouraged and I was very thankful and blessed and I was thankful to God that I had, I had reached out to this guy. The things that had happened between us go back now quite a while, but there's still those, those things in my heart. Forgiveness is something that is so so difficult and can be so, so deep. It can affect us in, in such deep ways. And as I was reading up about forgiveness, preparing for tonight, one of the, one of the people that you may find if you look up forgiveness, Christian references about forgiveness is a woman named Corey Tenboom. Anyone know who Corey Tenboom is? So she was a girl who grew up in the Netherlands and under Nazi Germany, she helped saved Jewish people that were, that were threatened to be deported into the concentration camps or killed. And eventually she was found out and sent herself with her sister to a concentration camp. And her sister died there, but she survived. And she tells a story, you can read her books, that she, she wrote after the fact that she, she was at a church service and she ran into one of the prison guards. <laughs> and the prison guard came up to her after the service and said, I became a Christian after the, what happened, after the war, and will you forgive me? And, and to think about that is just so... <laughs> when I was preparing for tonight, I knew it was going to get me crying again. To think about the depth of the wounds, the things that I had to go through with this friend that I just told you about in San Diego were nothing compared to that. But she, she has some, some things to say about forgiveness that are just wonderful and deep and, and I, I think are, are worthy of us to, to consider. I, this is all the introduction. I heard it was an hour and a half or two hours. You guys are hardcore on Thursday nights, right? So we can, we can go long. Um, she says, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. And in the, in the story, she tells the moment, she, she describes in detail the moment when this guard came up and what was going through her mind. And she says, I, I knew I had to forgive this guy. God wouldn't let me out of it. I knew it. And, and she says, man, I, I, I decided in my heart I'm going to forgive this guy. And, and she told him, and she said she felt like she was overwhelmed with joy and peace. And she, she says a little... Further in the, in the description, she says she realized later she, she was in, in, in the Netherlands after the war and was dealing with the people who had suffered at the hands of all these, these atrocities and what had gone on during the war, and she was trying to help the people recover. And she said, those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars but those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I thought, wow. She recognized after the war that those who hung on and stayed bitter, they, they couldn't move on. But those who were able to forgive, God allowed them to, to get beyond and, and to rebuild. And it's just fascinating. There's a lot of things that you can, can read about her. There's so much... But she even goes on in this text later to say that, that forgiveness isn't something you think, okay, I've arrived at forgiveness. But she tells a story. She says, many years later, some, some Christian brothers and sisters have heard, hurt her deeply. And she said she, she, she held bitterness against these brothers and sisters and for a long time struggled with forgiving them. And she says, you would think that after being able to forgive this Nazi German guard for what he had done and for my sister who had died, I would be able to forgive my brothers and sisters in Christ. But she said, no, it was still hard and it was still, still a struggle. And forgiveness and the bitterness that, that can linger in our lives if we don't forgive is a snare 
Pastor Josh said earlier that God doesn't want us to live in the snares of the enemy. That's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. That says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us weigh aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And a little further in Hebrews, he says, Pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no one will see God. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled." Unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts is a snare that we have to work against, that we have to be vigilant against. There there are other sins, there are other things that the enemy can throw our way, but unforgiveness and the bitterness there is, is one of those things that we have to be careful of. And we obviously need to rely on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who is going to give us the strength to forgive, to really move beyond. It is something that is, in a sense, unnatural for the, for the, the, the carnal human. It comes from God. And as we travel in this Christian life towards heaven, we should have less and less bitterness, less and less unforgiveness or grudges against other people. If, if, you, if you're getting older and you hold more and more grudges, there's a problem. Jesus doesn't want that for us. He wants us to remove those things, those, those, those snares. And this, this text in Matthew, I believe, is, is, a, is, is a, an essential text and a text that just clearly tells us that we don't, we don't have a choice. <laughs> we have to forgive. And so it starts here, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if you will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be like a heathen and a tax collector." So here, Jesus gives a pattern for conflict resolution amongst Christians. He looks at the the church, he looks at fellow believers, and he says, here's how we deal with problems when someone hurts one another, when someone sins against another brother or sister. And he gives a, a, a pattern, often we refer to this as a pattern for church discipline, um, but it's, I think, just conflict resolution, and the steps are simple and clear. If someone sins against you, if someone hurts you, what does it say to do? It says that we are to f- go and find him and try and work it out. We can work it out. We can work it out. You can read the text of that song, and there's a lot of good stuff that resembles what the Bible says, surprisingly enough. If he hears you, good. And if not, we're to go to the next step where we bring another brother or sister to go and to discuss the situation. And the idea is an intimidation. It's not we bring in the muscle to get the person to, 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 to bend. It's, it's the idea that there's, there's accountability and there can be perspective and maybe the, the, the other people can, can help with the situation and the conflict and the feelings and give a little bit of perspective or objectivity. And if the person hears you, great. But if not, then you're to bring it to the church. And exactly what that means, the text doesn't say, but we understand it as meaning most likely to bring it to the leadership of the church or people that are, that are um, uh, yeah, in leadership in the church and to also talk to this, this brother and try and resolve the conflict. And if not, then the, the final step is to say, okay, there's, a, there's an issue here and um, we need to say, like, if you're not willing to recognize this, then you need to no longer be part of this fellowship and this community that we are, this church. And we could spend our whole study tonight just on this process. I have a few quick, quick thoughts. This is a command of Jesus for the church. It's important and it should be happening within a church, within a local church. And if you have questions about this process in this church body, you can 
talk to Pastor Dave or Tim or Josh and see if you have questions. How does that, this kind of thing happen in this church? I'm sure they, they can tell you exactly how they would go about things. And the motivation here in this process with the other person is to be essentially one of love. Often when we go and try and settle this situation, our first motivation is he wronged me. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go get him. I'm going to go make him repent and recognize that he wronged me. But really the heart of this is that we should go and try and get this person, this brother or sister in Christ to recognize that there's sin in their life and say, listen, man, you, there's an issue in your life that needs to change. And you hurt me, but really the, the, the essential point is, is one of love and correction and, that, and a desire for the person to repent and to be restored. With this, the, I think the leadership of a church needs to be very careful not to abuse it. And obviously, there's something here very simple that I guess could, is, could be overstated, but it's that we must follow the steps, okay? <laughs> Sometimes, what do, what do we do when someone wrongs us? What's our first inclination? Do we go tell the person? Often we go, tell, we go complain to someone else. We go gripe or we go get the pastor and say, man, this guy did something. Come on, go get him. And that's not how it's supposed to happen. We don't like responsibility. And the text here, Jesus Christ puts the responsibility on us. For someone who has sinned against us, Jesus says, you deal with it. No one else. And that's the first step. And then obviously the steps continue and then bring someone else and then involve the leadership. But often we, we don't like that. We don't like to go talk to them prayerfully and in love. We don't like confrontation. We don't like having to deal with things. Maybe some of you like confrontation. That, I know there are people that, that enjoy that. It's in their personality, but it's probably not the, the everyone. Don't gripe about it to someone else. Don't ask for prayer in a prayer meeting. Say, oh, I need you to pray for this person. And really, you're just gossiping. You're just slandering this other person. <laughs> Don't seek counsel when you know that you're supposed to just go talk to the person and try and work it out with this brother or sister. Don't tell the pastor to deal with it. As pastors, it's really frustrating, man. I'm sure for Dave, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, no, it's not my job yet. It's your job. If you've got a problem with that person, you go see them. I'll, I'll intervene at step three. You know, it's like, come back when you've gotten to step three. And people are like, no, I'm just going to skip it all. We have a responsibility. And in all this, we're not, we're not declaring or deciding that this, the person has lost their salvation. That's not, we're not sure that's up, that's up to God to deal with that. But it's obviously not a good look for that person if they're unwilling to hear after all of those steps. And when a person is disciplined in this way, we are to love them and to be witnesses to them. Sometimes we read heathen and tax collectors as meaning, okay, we get to hate them now and treat them bad like the tax collectors and the heathen. But we're to love those people and, and witness to them and try to bring them back to Jesus. And I think we are to be very careful in those situations when those people are maybe disciplined, how we talk about them. Are, words, are our words concerning them slander? Or are we edifying, truthful, loving? We don't have to praise them or lie about the situation, say everything's great, but, but we need to be careful that our words are not marked by anger, bitterness, or revenge. And I think in a church... You can determine a lot if, you, if, you, if the situation like this comes up and you, you ask, okay, what, what happened? And if you listen to how it's described, what, what went on if someone is asked to leave a church, it'll reveal a lot about the heart of the leadership and the heart of the people in the body and whether or not they know their Bibles <laughs> and the steps that, that Jesus wants us to follow. And he continues, verse 18, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. 
Again, these, these three verses pack a punch. There's a lot we could say. I think it's enough to state that God gives the local church authority over the people that are there, gives a responsibility, but also an authority over its members. And Jesus is saying that if a church follows these steps and decides that someone is unrepentant and needs to be asked to leave the, the, the church, the congregation, in a sense, God says, okay, I agree with your decision. You've, you've, you've agreed amongst yourselves. You've obeyed me. Your heart is in the right place. I agree with you on this, on this, this decision. What you, have, what you have bound on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And there needs to be, of course, prayer and unity. And where there is prayer and unity, agreement in the church, there's, there's power. When we do things in unity in a church body, in agreement with God's commandments and his character, his name, there's a power there. God says some, something's happening spiritually. And again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Sometimes I read this verse and I think, so does that mean if, I, if, if I'm alone, is Jesus with me? Yeah, he's still there. It doesn't mean he's not there with me. But I think it does mean that Jesus gives a special importance to the, to the church context. He gives a special authority to Christians coming together in his name to be the church. Tonight there's something spiritually that God gives power to. It's, <laughs> it's surprising because we're just us. <laughs> but we're Jesus and us, and that's, that's, that's what counts. And he says, I am in the midst. And the church is not about size, place, power, the, 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 the particular form or the time, it's about Jesus with us. I like this too because it implies that Jesus is there with us all. Jesus isn't just with the pastor, and then you guys have to come to see the pastor to get Jesus or the priest. Jesus is with us. He is in the midst. And in a sense here, the unrepentant, the person that has been asked to leave, is missing out on this. He's missing out on these good things. And so, so Jesus says these things, and then Peter, verse 21 comes to him and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Peter is always the one to, to go out there in the front and, and you know, do, do the, the odd thing, try and, try and jump in and impress Jesus and be the, the, the good, the, the kind of the what do, what do we say in English? I, I, I have the word in French, but like for the student, that's the good student, the teacher's pet, there we go. Peter's the teacher's pet. And um, he's like, okay, so, so there's this conflict and he goes, okay, so maybe the guy, the person that sinned against me, hears me out and repents. And he goes, okay, but like, we can't just keep doing that, right? If he keeps sinning against us at some point, we've got to say, okay, that's enough, right? And the, according to the, the historians and theologians, the rabbis of the time said, you do that three times. And after three times of forgiving someone and they've repented, then you say, okay, that's enough, you're done three times, three strikes, you're out. That's where the baseball, come, the baseball scoring comes from, maybe. Peter here says seven. He thinks, okay, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna go big. I'm gonna be magnanimous. Seven, ooh. I'm like, I'm like, ooh, Peter. And <laughs> you, can, you can think even when he says seven that people might have been shocked, like, whoa, that's, that's too much, Peter. You're, you're doing too much. Don't, like, no, okay, maybe four or five, like just a little and Jesus responds to him. He says, okay, no, 70 times seven. 
That's 490. So be, we understand it. We like to read literally things and go, okay, well, then it's 490 times, right? That doesn't work. Jesus is basically saying here, you don't, you don't count. It's too much to count. We can't count those kind of numbers. We can't keep track of things like that unless we're very, very, very bitter and hold a really, really, really good grudge. I mean, you have to have an Excel sheet if you're, uh, I mean, you're, you, you're really going, you have, I mean, you're almost professional at that point. I hope you're getting paid if you're, if you're doing that much work. Imagine if, if between a husband and a wife, the wife was like, okay, you're up to 397, you better be careful. We're getting close, man. You're almost about to turn 400. No, it doesn't work like that. 1 Corinthians 13, speaking about how we love, and this is a famous passage, says we think no evil. In the, in the New King James or in other versions, we keep no record of evil. And obviously we know this passage of 1 Corinthians 13 that speaks about love often in the context of marriage, but it's not primarily directed at a married couple. And to me that blows my mind because when you think about how difficult it is when you're married to love like the Bible tells us to love in 1 Corinthians 13, how much more difficult it is to love like that for people that we don't like, that we didn't pick, <laughs> that we're not attracted to, or I mean, you, you, get, you get my picture, like my, my wife, I picked her and I like her, but someone I don't like, I already have a hard time with her and I have a vested interest in doing a good job of it. It's, it's wild. It's, it's beyond what we understand, keeps no record of evil. Love forgives. So Jesus just responds back to him. He says, no, you don't count, you just forgive. Someone sins against you and they, they repent and later they do it again and you forgive. And they do it again and you forgive. And they do it again and you forgive. You don't count. And you don't get to the end of that. And to, to illustrate his point, he tells this story, this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. This is a simple story. Parables are great. Kids can understand parables. The king has servants. This king and his kingdom has servants. And he expects those, those servants to, to do their job correctly. And... One day, he decides to examine things, go over the accounts, and have those that owe him money pay him back. And this one servant owes the king 10,000 talents, it says. How much is that? You guys know how much that is, 10,000 talents? You good with talents? I had to look it up too. This is, this is beyond a lifetime of work. This is, this is crazy huge. Okay, depending on the commentators, they go from $10 million to a billion dollars, depending on inflation, you know. It's a lot of money. I've seen people say that a talent was basically a year's worth of work. So he could work 10,000 years to try and pay this guy back. It simply means that he can't repay the king. He can't. And so the king decides to enslave the, this man, this servant, and sell everything that, is, that he has, to enslave his, his, his wife and children, maybe to sell them as slaves, we don't know. And I was reading as well that one talent was about the price of a really good slave in those days. So even if he takes his life and his family and everything that he owns, it really doesn't do much. His debt is not, it, it, isn't, it doesn't solve the problem. And the king here is completely justified in his decision. It's, it's a just decision. It's logical and the natural thing to do. And the servant pleads with the king and says, please, I'll repay you. 
That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's silly. If, if, someone, if you owed someone $10 billion and they said pay up and you're like, please give me, give me a year. I don't think we have any billionaires here tonight, but maybe we do. We can't repay that. You can, when, when you do the math, you can work your whole lifetime and never get there. With every single cent most of us will earn in our lifetimes, we wouldn't even be close. It's huge. Our minds have a hard time understanding those numbers. So this is a weird, it, it's kind of odd for, the, for this servant to plead with the king like this. It doesn't make sense. He agrees on the debt. He agrees that what he owes the king, he's not debating that, but he's trying to rely on himself. And he's faced with something impossible. He can't repay the king. And the story here takes a, a surprising turn. The master, moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. The king decides that he will forgive the debt. Not because the servant asked for it or sang a song or did the right thing, but because he decided to. He, he decided to not give the, the servant what he, what he deserved and to, in a sense, give him what he did not deserve. And it's wild. It's generous. It's extravagant. You think, who here has debt? How does it affect your life? It affects, your, it affects our lives. It changes the way we, we, we work, how we live, our decisions. Imagine if you owed $10 billion. Your life's going to be affected. You're going to think about it a little bit. You're not going to sleep as good. You're, gonna, the, the, you're not going to have subscriptions to every TV service under the channel, man. You're, you're going to think about it. And the king, in a sense, gives this guy a new life. He, comes, he walks out of there, he's free. He can look at life with a completely new perspective, completely chain, changed. Everything in his future has changed. Everything that he in his life was doing, he, how he viewed his family, his situation, his future, everything is different from that moment on. What does he do with that? Let's, verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So this guy whose life just got changed in a miraculous, incomprehensible manner turns around goes on his way and runs into another guy who owes him some money. And so it's 100 denarii. So if you're better with denarii, I'm sure now you know what, what we're talking about. Here too, I've heard it's about 100 days wage. So it's about three months worth of salary. So this is a, there's some weight to that. I mean, that's, if someone owes you three months worth of their salary, that's, that's significant. And you can understand that there's, there's, a, there's an, a debt there but it's realistic that the person could pay that back, could, could pay off their debt to this other guy. And to keep it into perspective, because we're, when we're looking at this story, there's the, what the king just forgave him, these, these 10,000 talents, and then these 100 denarii. If you do the, if you do the fraction, fraction of this, it's one six hundred thousandth of, <laughs> of what he owed the king a minute ago. Okay, so, so it's like he, this guy owes him a dollar, whereas he just got forgiven $600,000 worth of debt. That's what we're talking about here. He owed the king 600000 The king forgave him. He turns around. The guy owes him $1. says, no way, dude, you're going to prison. And he grabs him by the throat. I mean, it's, it's weird. It's, un, it's, it's like you're like, what is it going through this guy's mind? If, if someone, I mean, I don't know how you guys would, would deal with it, but if you had a $10 billion debt and the guy says, okay, you're good to go, no more, would you guys go around and, and, and beat someone up to give you a dollar? It's weird, right? I think it's, I, I don't understand what's going through this guy's mind. 
And the, the, the second servant, this fellow servant, pleads in the exact same way. Says, please, I'll, 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 I'll pay you back. And the interesting thing here is that the, the first servant, who was just forgiven this huge debt, he's well within his rights. In a sense, in the sense of justice, just to buy the book, he doesn't do anything wrong. This guy owes him money and hadn't paid him back, and so he says, okay, you're going to go to prison because you didn't pay me back. But it's clearly wrong, right? It's wrong. It's not what he should have done. And it strikes us, doesn't it? Does it, does it, does it kind of make you angry with this guy? You're like, dude, what are you doing? Why? This little, this little debt, comparatively, is nothing. And so when, verse 31, his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. His peers, the people around him, see what happened and they go, man, this is wrong. <laughs> they go, this isn't right. Let's go tell the, the master who just, who's in charge of this servant. He's, he's just, he's wrong, man. It's not going to look good, no doubt, for this, for this first servant. It's interesting here that, in a sense, he couldn't see his, his behavior. It's like he's blind to what he's doing, in a sense. But the people around him see clearly, and they're like, okay, this, is, this, this, is, this guy's messed up. He just got forgiven $10 billion and he won't give, give this guy a break for 10000 And it's, a, it's something that I think speaks to us. I was thinking of this and I think of my kids who so often they'll come to me and want to be forgiven for something they did or want me to let them off the hook and then they'll turn around and the sibling gets it, man. It's the same thing. It's like, Papa, Papa just gave me whatever I wanted, but then little brother, man, I'm going to go get him. I have a daughter and a son and the older daughter, she will... She will She'll come to me, please, Papa, and then, and then turns around, and that brother, man, he doesn't get any grace. <laughs> and it's such, a, it's such a reflection of how we can be. Spurgeon says, the debt was very, very small, but the claim was urged with intense ferocity. Our little claims against our fellow men are too apt to be press, pressed upon them with unsparing severity. Verse 32, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So it ends, it ends poorly for this, this first servant. The master is understandably angry. He says, I just forgave you this huge thing and you turn around and go beat up your, your, your fellow servant for this little thing. It was wrong for him to behave that way. And verse 35 is, is, is a solemn verse. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. This story makes it plain as day. There's no way you can wiggle your way out of this one theologically. You can't, you can't. Jesus says, you forgive. This is the gospel message, plain and simple. We have a problem. We have a debt that we can't repay. We have sin in our lives, and there is nothing we can do to repay that. And Jesus died on the cross for us, and just by Believing in him and repenting, he says, okay, I forgive you that debt. And the, and the thing he's saying here is he's saying, you guys forgive. Don't be this servant who goes around once I've forgiven you everything. Everything that you could not pay, do not turn around and go and not forgive your brothers and sisters. It's wrong. You may be right in the sense of, of justice. You may be right in what because of what the person did to you, but, but it's wrong, Jesus says. 
And Jesus says, I mean, he says, my father will, he's going he's gonna to look at how you treat people, how you forgive others, and he's going to do to you as you have done. God has forgiven me such a great debt that any debt that is owed to me is ridiculously small in comparison. No man can do anything to offend me or you to the extent that my sins have offended God. God has forgiven me so much that I have to forgive. This is serious business. This is central to the gospel. God doesn't take it lightly. He promises he'll deal with things. And you never want to hear God say that about you. Okay, I'm going I'm to have to take care of things here. And as I was, I was reading and preparing, it was fascinating, the, the, the prayer that we know our Father, our Father who art in heaven. We often read from Luke. We know it from Luke, but it's in Matthew as well, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 8 through, through 15, or 8 through 13. Do you know the two verses that follow our Father, the Our Father prayer in Matthew? Fascinating to me. Verse 14, after the, Jesus explains, okay, this is how you're, you're to pray, and one of the parts is, is obviously, and, we, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we're praying, okay, we're, help us forgive us and <laughs> help us forgive those around us. And verse 14, the verse right after that, after the, the prayer finishes, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It's fascinating to me that that passage in Matthew focuses so much on the forgiveness aspect of the Our Father prayer that we know so well. Hmm. Now, I don't, I don't know exactly, this is another one of those verses where we're, we can't say, okay, if you don't forgive, then you lose your salvation. We can't be, cate- we can't be that categoric with things that, that uh, emphatic. But if we don't forgive, we're going to have problems. It's interesting here, the master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. It brings us back to what Corey Tenboom was saying, how those who weren't able to forgive remained as invalids, as if tortured by the bitterness and the anger and the resentment that they couldn't and weren't willing to let go of. They, they tortured those people. The, the unforgiveness tortures us. It eats away at us. But forgiveness is a sign of, of real living faith, I believe. And if, and if there's an habitual unforgiveness, that may show that a person's heart, I, I, once again, we can't be emphatic, but that, that, that the person doesn't really understand the gospel. If, if we're really disciples, we may struggle, we may have seasons, but we, the, the, the habit is, can never be that we don't forgive. The norm is that we forgive. The standard, the, 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 the thing that we're supposed to be doing is forgiving. And sometimes we read this text and we like to say, okay, we'll forgive when people repent. I'm going to put some conditions on this. That'll save me some, some time. And we like to focus on other people's sin. I'll forgive them if they repent. But that's, that's wrong thinking. God doesn't forgive me without my repentance. God forgives us. Jesus died on the cross when we were his enemies. The the idea to say God doesn't forgive me without my repentance, therefore I must withhold forgiveness from others who sin against me until they properly repent, that thinking is wrong because we don't stand in the same position as God. That's putting ourselves in God's shoes, saying, okay, I'll, I'll forgive him when he, when he repents. God forgives us when we repent, but he, we're not God. 
And God says, you need to forgive. We need forgiveness. We have been forgiven, and we need to forgive others. In a sense, we should almost be more forgiving or faster to forgive than God. Because we have been forgiven so much. In the story, the king, he's completely justified if he condemns or, or, or brings justice down upon this one servant who owes him this massive debt, right? But this other, this, this, this servant with his fellow servant, he's in the wrong morally. He needs to forgive. But God, God in a sense doesn't need to like we do. We've been forgiven so much that we need to forgive. We have, in a sense, a greater obligation to forgive than God does. If we try and say that people have to repent first before we can forgive them, then we, we misunderstand this parable, I think, completely. Jesus isn't restricting here or putting any kind of conditions, is he? He doesn't say, okay, well, once the guy pays you back, then maybe. No, he says, this is so small. This is ridiculously puny compared to what I just forgave you. So forgive it. There's no... There's no There's no way to read it differently. Now, one thing that's important to point out and is always usually brought up is that there, there can be a distinction between reconciliation and forgiveness. And a reconciliation and a restoration of a re relationship that has been harmed by sin, by, by wrong, wrong things done to another person, that, has to, that requires an agreement of both, both parties and, 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 and work and requires repentance. Um, but, but forgiveness can be one-sided. We can be free of the bitterness towards someone who has wronged us, even if they don't repent, even if they don't come and ask for forgiveness, even if they don't even realize it. And we're not to be snared by that trap, I think, quite simply. This also doesn't mean that we are to overlook sinful behavior and just say, okay, whatever, I'll just not consider it. No. The, the, the way to resolve conflict that Jesus gave a few verses earlier was to go deal with it, to talk about it, to, to try and resolve things, to correct our brothers and sisters in love and try and help them sin less. And this also goes maybe without saying, but that there are certain situations where if there's, the, depending on what the sins are and there's consequences and, and problems, and especially if it maybe involves other people, then, then things are to be dealt with, I would, I would guess, differently. Um, there's, there's consequences in this world as well. It doesn't mean there's no consequences. If someone goes and robs a bank and hurts someone in the bank, the person who was hurt in the bank can forgive the robber, but it doesn't mean, okay, you're off the hook for the legal and the, and the problems that you will have with the society, and that's not what we're saying. The man needs to be punished by, by the justice system, and, and, but, but the forgiveness that that person, perhaps, that example in a bank who's hurt, is able to forgive. And sometimes we see these stories, people who suffer these incredibly difficult things, like Corey Tenboom and then who, who say, God allowed me and helped me to forgive this person. It doesn't mean there were no consequences for those people who, who, who wronged someone or who sinned in a, in a, in a, in a harmful manner. Um, this forgiveness needs to just not be words. It needs to come from the heart. We need, each of us need to forgive from the heart his brother, his trespasses. We, can, we, could, we could say words, I forgive you. Have you ever done that? Someone comes and says, please forgive me. And you're like, I just want to get rid of him so he'll stop talking to me. So I'm just going to say, I forgive you. Now please leave me. That's not true forgiveness, and we understand that. Is, where's our heart at? 
Jesus sees our heart. In the church, amongst each other, we don't necessarily see, but God knows. If our hearts remain hard, God sees it. And another maybe point is, is the church, when we speak of the church, I think this, the, the, the context here in this story, I think mainly the, the parable and what, where Jesus is talking about is the church, the God's kingdom. Um, it's not a bunch of fast foods where you can say, okay, I have a problem here, I'm going to go over there. Um, I don't like these people anymore, I, they, they hurt me, I'm bitter towards them, so I'm just going to go find another church where they aren't at. There's a lot of churches around here, there's a lot more than in France. In France, it's interesting because the people in my congregation, it's like if they really get angry, it's, it's hard to find another church like ours, so they can't, they, they're kind of out of options, it's either I stop going to church or I, so it's interesting because they're kind of stuck, and sometimes you see them squirming. And the impression I, I get sometimes from the States is it's so easy because there's so many. How many Calvary chapels are there within a, a, a tiny radius? You can just be like, okay, I'm just, ah, I started going to that one, you know. And really in our hearts, it's, I can't stand those couple people and I don't want to see them. God doesn't okay that either. I would encourage you, if, if for any of you that's the case, I would encourage you to try and deal with those, those things, <laughs> those brothers or sisters. That's the kingdom of God. Not because you came to another church that you're off the hook. And this parable tells us about, about when we've been sinned against. But the Bible also, and Jesus talks about earlier in Matthew 5, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, um, he talks about when we've sinned against someone. And he, he doesn't, um, how could I put it? Keeps, he keeps the focus on us. We like to point, oh, they wronged me. But there's a little for everyone. If, if you've been sinned against, you have a responsibility to go seek out a person and, and get that person, in a sense, try and help them not sin. But also, if I've sinned against someone, the responsibility is on me to go ask for forgiveness. See, we... <laughs> We so often don't want that responsibility. And the Bible in both situations, if you've been sinned against or if you've sinned against someone, the Bible says it's your responsibility. You need to go and deal with it, work it out. You don't get to just say, ah, oh, if he comes and talks to me, then maybe I'll, you know, I'll deal with it. Or it goes both ways. And, the, and the, the passage in Matthew 5 I find is fascinating as well. Therefore, Matthew 5, verse 23 to 24, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. These are strong words from Jesus. Jesus says, I don't want your service, I don't want your sacrifices, I don't want your singing on Sunday morning, I, I want you to go ask for forgiveness from your brother now. Reconcile, work it out. And once again, we like to avoid confrontation when we've sinned against someone and we know that we've wronged them and we know that we need to do something, we don't, we don't want to go. And I think often, even in, in these conflict situations, often when we are unwilling to forgive someone or we hold a grudge against someone, there's often something as well that we've done against that person. In a sense, when we've, we're unwilling to forgive, we're sinning against that brother or that sister. <laughs> it kind of is a, is a loop, in a sense, where in, in all the situations, we can't get our way out of it. <laughs> we have to go ask for forgiveness or work it out. And I think often when we, when we go see someone who has sinned against us, more often than not, maybe it's just me, but there's something as well in my life, in a sense, a sin towards that, that person. And to kind of close things up, I think um, I often in my church have people who, who ask me, you know, what is God's will for my life? You guys ever wonder that? What's God, God's will for your life? We pray and we ask for specific situations. We, 
want to know if we should go there or there, take that job or, you know, buy the blue or the red car or whatever. And really, God's more concerned with our characters. Those things are important, and it's good to ask God for his, his guidance. But really, he wants to see where our hearts are at and where our motivations are at. And this text and others, there's Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.32, he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The Bible says you need to forgive. You want to know God's will for your life? One of God's wills for your life is that you forgive. In this family that we are in Jesus, in this Jesus family, we are people who forgive. It's interesting because in the story, when we read what the, what the king did for the servant, do we see that as the norm or as the exception? We see that as the exception. But in God's kingdom, things are upside down. That's to be the norm. That's to be the standard by which we live. We are to be people who forgive. Jesus says to us, I want you to forgive those who have wronged you because I forgave you way, way more. And in this family, we forgive. You ever had your parents say something like that about about your family? In in this house, this is how we are. You know, we, we support a sports team or whatever, you know, you... That's what we are in this family. Well, in the Jesus family, we forgive. That is who we are supposed to be. That is supposed to be the standard. We forgive our brothers and sisters. We forgive even our enemies. And if we don't, we're bad examples. We're bad witnesses. Just as if, like, maybe in the family setting, maybe your parents or your father had to say, okay, you know, I'm going to discipline you because that's not how we behave in in this household, you know? God's saying, this is how we behave. This is how I want you as my servants to be. As as examples, as witnesses, as ambassadors for Christ, we are to forgive. And so, as we close, I was praying about this, and and I don't know, maybe some of you hear this tonight, and you think, okay, I don't really, it doesn't really resonate with me. Some of you maybe have that person, or maybe those people where in your mind you know exactly who I'm talking about when God says to you, forgive those people. If you don't have those people in mind tonight, I guarantee, I promise you that that will come up at some point in your life. So tuck this away for that, for that time. Who do you need to forgive right now? Who do I need to forgive right now? And sometimes it can be just something in our heart, maybe something that the other person did and we didn't even realize. We, we were maybe offended, the other person doesn't know. We need to gauge that and maybe pray to God to help us deal with it in silence and just love that brother and sister. There are people sometimes that rub, rub each other the wrong way. I have people like that in my life where sometimes I think they're super angry at me and they're just like, what? No, I was just, I didn't have my coffee yet. You know, it's just, so some, some things we can just cover with love. Silence it in our hearts and pray about it and give it to God and love that brother and sister. And sometimes we need to go talk to that person as Jesus tells us to resolve the conflicts, to say, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to take action. But once again, we need to be careful and we need it to be about them Loving them, growing them, edifying them, helping them become more like Jesus, not being about vengeance or making the person grovel so we can feel justified or better. So let us forgive. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your words and thank you that you forgave us so much. We who could never repay the debt that we owed you, the debt of sin, We want to say thank you that you died on the cross for us and are willing to forgive us so freely. Lord, help us be people who forgive like you want. Disciples who are quick to forgive others, Lord. 
quick to take responsibility in, in seeking others out and resolving the conflicts, Lord. Free us from the bitterness and anger that maybe is, is holding us captive, keeping us from walking the walk you want us to walk with you, to live the life you want us to live. Free us from those, that, that sin of unforgiveness and bitterness, Lord. Don't let the enemy control our lives in that area. Help us forgive, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that you forgave us so much. In your name we pray. Amen.